Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. All right. Good morning, Saleh Sheik. I'm a UT Houston PMNR resident, PGY3, here with Alia Smith. She is one of our uh, esteemed wound care and hyperbaric medicine things. Uh, would please uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about I am uh, Dr. Mahalia Smith. I practice wound care, hyperbaric medicine, and lymphedema management. Um, I've been doing um, that since 2003. Um, I love what I do. I've had the opportunity um, over the past uh, years uh, to see a variety of patients in wound care and um, variety of lymphedema patients and of course patients that we treat with hyperbaric medicine, some patients who we treat with hyperbaric medicine. So it's all very interesting and um, I'm excited to share some of that with you today. I was trained as an internist. Um, I graduated um, from University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston. I did my residency and also undergraduate, uh, sorry, grad medical school there. All right, um, wonderful. So uh, yes, tell us a little bit more about your background and professional training or experience you want to uh, practice uh, what you do today. Well, um, I grew up in the West Indies and growing up, um, I would always see people with, um, you know, different type of skin lesions. You know, it's in the tropics. And I realized that I always had questions about why did they have this or why that? And um, that led me to an interest in health in general. And then I started reading about doctors who went into different places in the tropics um, and treated patients, really missionary type of work. And that just continued to have that desire in me to grow, to do medicine, but also to also do medical missions, which I have done. Um, what are some interesting things you've seen on the mission trips? You know, um, when you go on a mission trip, you have to go with an open mind. And um, 
you don't go expecting to find everything that you would find in your home country, wherever that is. You go knowing that people live differently um, in different places. They have um, access to a different set of resources, sometimes more, sometimes less. And um, you go, you know, basically to try to help. I'm, my first mission trip was actually to Haiti after the earthquake, um, I think 2005. Uh, and it was interesting because, you know, it was a very traumatic and very heart rendering condition. And these were people who all of a sudden underwent a lot of trauma, emotional and physical. Um, they couldn't find their family members and many of them ended up with amputations. And I was part of the team that took care of them after amputation. One of them, the most interesting things was, you know, as always with a disaster, you have help coming from many different countries. There was no way to have a medical record either electronic or paper. So sometimes what we got when patients were transferred to us and we were at an orphanage, which became, the school became a makeshift hospital. And I would get pieces of paper written in Chinese, French, German, whatever, <laughs> you know. And had, I had to figure out on my own um, what really the patient needed. Fortunately, the wound care, I knew, so I could look at the wound. So yeah, most of them had amputations or some kind of wound that needed to be treated. And I was able to do that with whatever was available to us. Um, we were able to take a, a lot of donated supplies. Um, they, I worked in the clearly area and the doctors and staff, they were very generous with supplies. So we were able to take supplies and the rest of the team, I went with a team out of Austin. They also had supplies, even surgical equipment. Uh, we had orthopedists on the team. And, you know, there was a makeshift OR and, you know, I was able to help post up. It was very interesting. The patients were very grateful. Um, and even though there sometimes there was a language barrier, you know, caring is universal. So they knew when you cared about them. Um, we had uh, meals that we could feed them and that, that was helpful. And so that stays in my mind. Uh, my other mission trips were to India and we would go out into the countryside. And one of the biggest takeaways um, was that where we were, they get a lot of rain uh, in the monsoon season and their wells would be flooded. And then they would, of course, drink the water and got sick. And what we were able to do uh, implement with education was that they should boil the water. They were straining the water. They were doing the best they could, but they were not spending uh, the time. And sometimes the resources didn't allow for them to boil the water. 
truly amazing stories. Mm -hmm. Certainly a much, uh, much needed service to uh, Baltimore. And for PMR MNR, um, listeners out there in Haiti, after the amputations, there were no prostheses available. And the social system wasn't a system in which they knew, you know, there was no Medicare or Medicaid or anything. Um, they knew they had to make do and find ways to continue to function uh, without that support. Very interesting. All right. Uh, so here in Houston, what is your clinical practice setting like? do patient or outpatient or a blend? Um, it's a blend. Um, I see inpatients at um, TMC at the hospital. Um, and I have an outpatient clinic also over at um, Memorial Hermann. And of course, I have clinics at TIER. Okay. How much time do you spend uh, in patient setting? Okay, so at uh, TMC right now, um, because of COVID and we had, uh, you know, a reducing patient flow, I have one day there. I have currently two days a tier, and um, and I also do an inpatient day at uh, TMC. Okay. Um, and now getting into the topic of your uh, presentation. Uh, in how it relates to wound care, what is friction and shearing? How is it best uh, managed in the? Um, I often advise my patients to use uh, a barrier cream uh, to keep the skin soft and supple. So I start with the skin care, keep the skin clean, soft, supple. Um, if they're using draw sheets, we try to teach them the best way to use that so that, um, you know, the, the patient, the sheet isn't yanked one way and the patients slide in the other way <laughs> um, because that increases friction. Um, I also try to um, ask them to, for the ones who can, um, to do some upper extremity exercises, maybe with a, you know, a bottle of water or two bottles of water so that uh, or with small weights if they can or will um, and you use the upper body to help transfer while they're on the sliding board so that it's not all their weight adding to the shear in injury because shear is a combination of the frictional forces the 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 two forces going in opposite direction and then downward pressure also, I would use um, a silicone type uh, dressing. Uh, a hydrocolloid uh, is also good. It's it's sort of it, you. It's adhesive to the skin, and becomes sort of a second skin. So when they slide, they're sliding on the hypercolloid while the skin is allowed to have um, healing underneath, in and going through autolytic debridement and healing. All right. Would you be able to take the listeners through the uh, time acronym and uh, what it is and how it relates to wound care? Yes. Okay. So the time acronym starts with T for tissue, 
So you want to look at the tissue, um, especially when you have a chronic wound. Um, it, it, acute wounds tend to heal, you know, within a, a, a couple of weeks. But you develop a chronic wound when it's going on for four weeks and there's no sign of reduction or healing in the wound bed. You want it to be at least about 40% closed in four weeks. If that's not happening, you move it into a chronic wound, which basically has wound bed that's inflamed. So for the T, you want to look at the wound bed. Is it beefy red? I tell my patients to look at the wound bed and you know let me know if it's not looking like a hamburger so it should be hamburger meat looking nice and beefy red um, if it's gray or it's dull or friable meaning that if you touch it you may have some red tissue there but if you touch it it bleeds easy and the tissue falls apart that's not healthy uh, wound tissue the eye you look for inflammation and infection is there an odor um does the wound seem irritated um do you have heavy drainage purulent drainage any signs of infection the m for moisture control you definitely want to control the moisture dry wounds do not heal well we have enzymes that are at work in wound healing and a lot of the enzymes, you know, in the body uh, require some moisture. So dry wounds do not heal as well. So you want to have a controlled wound environment. You don't want to have excessive uh, moisture because then the cells become waterlogged and they no longer go through uh, mitosis uh, or this cell division in a way to heal the wound. What, uh, oh, what I your... didn't get to E. Yeah. I'm sorry. E. Okay. E? Yeah. <laughs> e for edge control. You you want the edge to be uh, fixed to the wound, um, so that means you want to have no undermining. Um, meaning undermining is like a lip. You can at the wound edge. You could still um, go underneath, um, and you don't want to have tunneling. So you want the edges to be in moving in the direction towards each other. You don't want the, the edges to be rolled in because that's the sign the body has given to the wound that it's done with healing. It's made it kind of like a mouth. I see. And how often do you have to uh, cut that rolled? As often as you need to. You, from in, my, in most cases, I only ever have to do it once or maybe twice. Um, some patients form a callus at that area. Um, so one case in particular, he has a wound on the ish, over the ischium. He uses a sliding board. The edge gets calloused, and I have to trim that. Let's see. What, uh, what is your opinion on Manuka honey? Okay. So honey is an age-old uh, <laughs> medicinal product. I think it dates back to the Egyptians. Um, the way it works actually is it, the cells, uh, it, by osmosis, the cells, um, then you, you, they, you're hoping the bacterial cells and the cells that form a, a biofilm, uh, which the bacteria, a film where the bacteria live and generate a, a, a matrix, um, that 
the cells then become waterlogged and they lice. So you can use manukal honey. I use it mostly for superficial wounds. For deep wounds, I don't as much. And then uh, actually sucrose sugar, basically sugar, that's been used as well um, in, 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 uh, in some dressings. Actually, there's, there's a particular dressing that's basically sugar. <laughs> um, and you could go ahead and, and use those. I am not a fan of it for very deep wounds. I think there are other things that need to happen in a deep wound, but for the more superficial wounds, they work well. Um, they're not all created equal, so every product is not the same. So you may have to play around with the product and see which ones. See, very interesting. Okay, so in your experience working with uh, learners and residents, uh, field, what would you say are some of the most common mistakes or misconceptions that learners make along the way acquiring knowledge? I think one is that wound care is somehow separate from medicine. And they, when they come and they rotate, they go, oh, you're doing a lot of medicine, right? Because I see the, the wound as just like I would have, you know, if you're a cardiologist, you see the heart, but you still have to consider all of the medicine <laughs> related to the patient. So I do look at things like nutrition. I look at their past medical history. You know, why is this leg swollen? Is it the heart? Is it the, the kidney? You know, are they on dialysis? Um, is, is it the liver? In fact, um, uh, I had a case in which a patient presented to me with, he came because his legs were swollen. And when I looked at him, he had ascites. And I said, is anything wrong with your liver? Has anybody told you? He said, no. And, and uh, he, works, he worked every day. And I said, I really think you may have something wrong either with your heart your kidney or your liver. So I went through the social history and found out that he drank quite a bit every day and had been drinking for years. So my bet was on the liver. Um, I drew some blood. Again, I did a liver profile and, um, and, and as well as CBC and CMP. And I referred him to the liver clinic that, and, uh, the hepa hepatologist discovered he was he had cirrhosis and this is why he was having the leg swelling and the ascites. Um, he came back to us, of course, because we started um, bandaging his legs and treating some of the swelling. And he was in denial for a long time, but he was so far advanced that they put him on the list for liver transplant. I see you have to consider the whole person in treating. Yeah. The second misconception is that collagenase can treat any wound. So people will put collagenase on an ESCA, which is that hard, thick, black area that some uh, uh, necrosis tissue that some wounds have. If you're going to do that, you have to hash mark it because collagenase works from the bottom up. 
So if you're putting it on something that's relatively impenetrable, you're not, you're wasting the money and the time. So I try when I, people rotate with me to teach them why we do what we do. Why am I choosing this dressing? And sometimes some of it comes from experience and, you know, just told everybody has their own uh, little armamentum, but I always try to expose them to what's in the toolbox and, you know, this is why I'm using that. And, you know, someone else may use something else and that would be okay. And why? That's good to know. I didn't know that about the collagenase application. Yes. Yes. Sometimes I, I get patients and they've been on collagenase for a month and they say nothing is happening and I know exactly why. Um, are there fellowship opportunities uh, in this field? Um, not for wound care, for hyperbaric medicine, yes, um, but um, not for wound care yet. But they are certificate. You can do certification uh, and um, get uh, a CWS, a wound care specialist certification. Okay, and for residents that want to learn more about this field, is there a particular resource that you would recommend that going towards? Um, sure, I would definitely recommend a rotation. In okay. All right. um, um, and there are several uh, books, and actually, the, some of the wound care product sites have really good free educational courses. So um, it's it there there's, there are a lot of available resources. Okay. All right. Good to know. All right. And last question, time today. If you couldn't do medicine, what would you do? Oh, that's a hard thing because <laughs> every day I wake up, I think I will, I, I mean, I, I just, I just want to do medicine, but if I couldn't do it, it would be something in education. I think I would like to do coaching, um, personal development coaching, because I'm big on personal development. That would be it. Um, I'm big on personal development, and I'm actually a certified personal development coach. You are? Wow. Yes, I am. Wow. Yes, I am. All right. That's so interesting. Another <laughs> service-related field. We'll have to talk more about that one day. <laughs> so so it's wow. good. But I love this. I love good. doing this. So I'm, I'm always willing to share. So if you all need help, just let me know. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you so okay. much. Yeah. Wow. All right. I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for talking with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for all the good information. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Dr. Mahaley Smith, great talking with you. See. All right. Bye. Thank you. Have a great day. You Bye. too. Bye. I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double-check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. 
one physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.